Chapter Three, Part One of Bacteria and Daily Life by Grace Coleridge Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sunshine and Life. It was nearly a century ago that a German physician incidentally wrote, quote, "Our houses, hospitals, and infirmaries will, without doubt, some day be like hothouses, so arranged that the light." even that of the moon and stars, is permitted to penetrate without let or hindrance." Unquote. This was spoken long before the world of microorganisms had been discovered, but curiously has found an echo in the writings of a distinguished bacteriological chemist in recent years. Quote, Les ondes entre largement partout l'air et le soleil, writes M. Duclos. C'est la une maxime bien ancienne, mais si les mots sont vieux l'idée the interpretation of this ancient maxim is indeed very modern and we must turn to the investigations made within the past few years to learn with what justification m duclos thus expresses himself for it is only comparatively recently that we have learnt the novel fact that sunshine whilst essential to green plant life is by no means indispensable to the most primitive forms of vegetable existence with which we are acquainted that is bacteria in fact, we have found out that if we wish to keep our microbial nursery in a healthy, flourishing condition, we must carefully banish all sources of light from our cultivations, and that a dark cupboard is one of the essential requisites of a bacteriological laboratory. That light had a deleterious effect upon microorganisms was first discovered in this country by Messrs. Downs and Blunt, and their investigations led Professor Tyndall to carry out some experiments on the Alps, in which he showed that flasks containing nutritive solutions and infected with bacteria when exposed in the sunshine for twenty-four hours remained unaltered whilst similar vessels kept in the shade became turbid showing that in these the growth of bacteria had not been arrested in these experiments mixtures of microorganisms were employed and the interest of the french investigations which followed lies in the use of particular microbes notably the anthrax bacillus and its spores in the interior of some bacilli there appears a round or oval body having a very bright and shining luster which is known as a spore and plays a most important part in the propagation of many kinds of bacilli these spores are capable of resisting many hardships which would be immediately fatal to the parent bacilli from which they have sprung rue demonstrating very conclusively that the bacillar form was far more sensitive to light than the spore form while Maumont, in a classical series of experiments not only fully confirmed these observations but showed also that the intensity of the action of light depends to a very large extent on the environment of the organism thus if broth containing anthrax bacilli is placed in the sunshine the latter are destroyed in from two to two and a half hours whilst if blood containing these organisms is similarly exposed their destruction is only effected after from twelve to fourteen hours of sunshine this difference in resistance to insulation was also observed in the case of dried blood and broth respectively eight hours exposure killing the bacilli in the former whilst five hours sufficed in the latter this is an instance of the apparent idiosyncrasies possessed by microorganisms which render their study at once so fascinating and so difficult and it is through being thus constantly confronted with what in our ignorance we mentally designate as whims that we can hardly resist the impression of these tiny forms of life being endowed with individual powers of discernment and discrimination indeed these powers of selection and judgment are in certain cases so delicately adjusted 
that in some of the modern chemical laboratories microorganisms have become indispensable adjuncts, and by their means new substances have been prepared and fresh contributions made to the science of chemistry. Moment is not able to give any satisfactory explanation of this different behavior of the anthrax bacilli in these two media, but goes on to show that yet another factor plays an important part during insulation. In the above experiments, air was allowed to gain access to the vessels containing the broth. But if the precaution be taken of first removing the air and then exposing them to the sunshine, a very different result was obtained. For instead of the anthrax bacilli dying in from two to two and a half hours, they were found to be still alive after fifty hours' insulation. There appears, therefore, to be no doubt that sunshine in some way or other endows atmospheric oxygen with destructive power over the living protoplasm of the bacterial cells. Indeed, there is considerable reason to believe that the bactericidal effect is due to the generation of peroxide of hydrogen, which is well known to possess powerfully antiseptic properties. Numerous investigations have been also made to determine whether all the rays of the spectrum are equally responsible for the bactericidal action of light. Geisler's work in St. Petersburg is especially instructive in this respect, for by decomposing with a prism the sun's light, as well as that emitted by a thousand candle-power electric lamp into their constituent rays, he was able to compare the different effects produced by the separate individual rays of both these sources of light. The organism selected was the typhoid bacillus, and it was found that its growth was retarded in all parts of the two spectra excepting in the red, and that the intensity of the retardation was increased in passing from the red towards the ultraviolet end of the spectrum, where it was most pronounced of all. But whereas from two to three hours of sunshine were sufficient to produce a most markedly deleterious effect upon the typhoid bacillus, a similar result was only obtained by six hours' exposure to the electric light. Dr. Kirstein of the University of Gießen, in the course of some experiments he made to ascertain how long different varieties of bacteria can exist when they obtain access to the air in the form of fine spray, and subsequently, as happens under ordinary circumstances, get dried up, noted also the effect upon their vitality of exposure in daylight and darkness respectively. For this purpose the apparatus in which the experiments were carried out was in some cases kept in a dark cellar, whilst in others it was left standing in the laboratory in ordinary daylight. Delicate bacteria, such as the foul cholera bacillus, it was found, could not survive exposure to daylight in this dried-up condition for more than ten hours. But when they were put in the dark, their lease of life was prolonged for more than twice that length of time. Whilst, as regards varieties of tougher constitution, such as diphtheria and tubercle bacilli, whose initial vitality was very considerably greater under these adverse circumstances, confinement in the cellar enabled them to exist more than four times as long as they were able to in the healthy atmosphere of the well-lighted laboratory. Dr. Honorado of the University of Genoa has recently shown also that influenza bacilli are entirely destroyed after the sun has been shining on them continuously for three and a half hours. Such facts indicate how essential to health is plenty of light in our dwelling rooms, and how important it is that in the designing of houses the trapping of the maximum amount of sunshine should be very carefully considered. Architects might indeed, with advantage, be compelled to include in their qualifications a knowledge of the fundamental facts of sanitary science. The fashion of shutting the sunshine out by barriers of blinds and curtains drawn across the windows, 
a practice which seems to be almost entirely independent of the habitual gloom of the surroundings or general scarcity of sunshine might possibly be modified were it but known that by thus excluding light we are conferring an inestimable benefit upon the members of the microbial community which may at any moment comprise some of the subtlest and most dangerous antagonists with which we have to reckon in the struggle for existence from a hygienic point of view also the question of the potency of sunshine in regard to the bacteria present in water is both important and interesting for it is to water at the present time that we look for the dissemination of some of the most dreaded zymotic diseases comparatively little has been done in this direction but those results which have been obtained are exceedingly suggestive professor buchner has published some preliminary experiments which he made with particular microorganisms in these investigations boiled tap water was used to ensure the absence of all bacteria except those which were subsequently introduced and whilst some of the vessels were exposed to the sunshine others were simultaneously preserved in the dark it was found that typhoid cholera and various other bacilli were most deleteriously affected by insulation perhaps an example will best serve to illustrate the nature of the results obtained some boiled water contained in a flask was inoculated with an immense number of a bacillus closely resembling the typhoid organism normally present in the body and frequently found in water the bacillus coli communis so many were introduced that nearly one hundred thousand individuals were present in every twenty drops of the water this flask then containing water so densely sown with microbes was placed in the sunshine for one hour whilst another and similar flask was kept during the same time in the dark on being subsequently examined it was ascertained that whereas a slight increase in the number of bacilli had taken place in the dark flask in the insulated flask absolutely no living organisms whatever were present professor percy franklin has also investigated the action of sunshine on microorganisms in water and in one of his reports to the water research committee of the royal society an account is given of the effect of insulation on the vitality of the spores of anthrax and thames water these experiments show again what an important influence the surroundings of the organism have on the bactericidal potency of the sun's rays for the remarkable fact was established that when immersed in water anthrax spores are far less prejudicially affected by sunlight than when exposed in ordinary culture materials such as broth or gelatin thus it was only after one hundred and fifty-one hours insulation in thames water that these spores were entirely destroyed whilst a few hours exposure in the usual culture media is generally sufficient for their annihilation in water not subjected to insulation anthrax spores were found to retain their vitality for several months in case the reader should be tempted to compare these results with those obtained by buchner it must be borne in mind that whereas those experiments were made with bacilli these were directed to determine the behavior of spores in water which are some of the hardiest forms of living matter with which we are acquainted this alone would sufficiently explain the results obtained whilst each variety of microbe may be and doubtless is differently affected during insulation we now know that a remarkable improvement takes place in the bacterial condition of water during its prolonged storage in reservoirs and although no doubt the processes of sedimentation which have been shown to take place during this period of repose are to a large extent responsible for the diminution in the number of bacteria present yet it is also highly probable that insulation assists considerably in this improvement at any rate in the upper layers of the water 
As the depth of the water increases, the action of light is necessarily diminished. Indeed, exact experiments conducted in the Lake of Geneva to ascertain by means of photographic plates the depth to which the sun's rays penetrate showed that they did not reach beyond 553 feet, at which depth the intensity of the light is equal to that which is ordinarily observed on a clear but moonless night, so that long before that their bactericidal potency would cease. It is the more important that this limit to the powers of sunshine and water should be duly recognized, inasmuch as solar enthusiasts, when first the fact became known, rashly jumped at the convenient hypothesis, based on very slender experimental evidence, that the sun's rays were possessed of such omniscient power to slay microbes that they might safely be relied upon to banish all noxious organisms from our streams, and that local authorities might therefore comfortably, and without any qualms of conscience, turn sewage into our rivers, and so dispense with the cost and labor of its treatment and purification. This was actually suggested in a proposal made for dealing with the sewage of the city of Cologne. Fortunately, further investigations have removed these most erroneous and dangerous ideas, and whilst all due credit may be given to sunshine for what it really does accomplish in the destruction of bacteria and water, there is now no doubt as to its potency being confined to the superficial layers of water. Perhaps Dr. Prokashi's experiments will most clearly convey some idea of this limitation, for he made a special study of this particular phenomenon. Some drain water, containing of course an abundance of microbial life, was placed in cylindrical glass vessels, and only the perpendicular rays of the sun were allowed to play upon it. The column of water was about two feet high, and whilst a bacteriological examination at the commencement of the research showed that about 2,000 microbes were present in every 20 drops of water taken from the surface, center, and bottom of the vessel, respectively. After three hours' sunshine, only nine and ten were found in the surface and center portions of the water, whilst at the bottom the numbers remained practically unchanged. Professor Buchner of Munich demonstrated the same impotence of the sun's rays to destroy bacteria much beneath the surface of water in some ingenious experiments he made in the Starnberger Sea near Munich. He lowered glass dishes containing jelly thickly sown with typhoid bacilli to different depths in the water during bright sunshine. Those kept at a depth of about five feet subsequently showed no sign of life, whilst those immersed about ten feet developed abundant growths. In both cases the exposure was prolonged over four and a half hours. In our own rivers, Thames and Lee, frequently about twenty times more microbes have been found in the winter than in the summer months but it would be extremely rash to therefore infer that the comparative poverty of bacterial life was due to the greater potency of the sun's rays in the summer than in the winter. Doubtless it may contribute to this beneficial result, but we know as a matter of fact that, in the summer, these rivers receive a large proportion of spring water, which is comparatively poor in microbes, and that this factor also must not be ignored in discussing the improved bacterial quality of these waters at this season of the year. Another point which must be taken into consideration in regard to the effective insulation of water is its chemical composition, for it has been shown that the action of sunshine in destroying germs in water is very considerably increased when common salt is added to the water, and this opens up a wide field for experimental inquiry before we can accept sunshine as a reliable agent in the purification of water. Again, we must remember that a great deal depends upon the condition of the microbe itself, if it is present in the spore or hardy form, then considerably longer will be required for its annihilation. 
This fact has been abundantly shown in the case of anthrax, which in the condition of spores will retain its vitality in water flooded with sunshine for considerably upwards of a hundred hours, the bacilli being far more easily destroyed. We must also bear in mind that the individual vitality of the microbe is an important factor in determining its chance of survival. If it is in a healthy, vigorous condition, it will resist the lethal action of sunshine for considerably longer than when its vitality has been already reduced by adverse surroundings. It is therefore sufficiently obvious that the power of insulation to bacterially purify water is by no means easy of estimation, and that numerous and very varied factors have to be taken into account when we attempt to endow it with any measure of practical hygienic importance. In connection with the vitality of anthrax germs in water, which has afforded material for so many laboratory investigations, it is of interest to consider what chance exists of anthrax being communicated by water. Until a few years ago, as far as I am aware, no instance has been recorded of anthrax having been actually communicated by water, until an outbreak of anthrax on a farm in the south of Russia was distinctly traced by a skilled bacteriologist to the use of water from a particular well, in the sediment of which the bacillus of anthrax was discovered. Anthrax bacilli have also been detected in the water of the River Illinois in the vicinity of Chicago, one of the chief sources of pollution of which is the slaughtering of cattle and the discharge of their offal into the river. The likelihood of such contamination taking place through the drainage of soil makes it of importance to ascertain what may become of the bacilli of anthrax derived from the bodies of animals which have died of this disease, and whose carcasses have been buried and not burnt. The anthrax bacillus cannot produce the hardy spore form within the bodies of animals, but it does outside. Now it has been shown that the bacilli of anthrax taken from the blood of an animal dead of anthrax are destroyed rapidly in ordinary River Thames water, for example, but that if the temperature of the water to which they gain access is somewhat higher than usual, such bacilli are able to sporulate or produce spores in the water, and in that hardy form can retain their vitality and virulence for several months. That anthrax bacilli can produce spores in water under certain conditions has not hitherto been dwelt upon in discussing the question of their vitality in water, and it is of obvious importance in connection with the action of sunshine on anthrax germs in water, knowing, as we now do, the very different manner in which the spores and bacilli respectively behave when under the influence of the sun's rays. It was not, perhaps, unnatural that rash assumptions as to the efficacy of sunshine should have been readily accepted when such remarkable feats performed on microbes by sunshine were being continually put forward. Thus it has been found that insulation, even when it does not destroy, may effect profound changes in the physiological character of certain microorganisms. Dr. Lohmann of Rostock discovered that some hours' exposure to bright sunshine entirely destroys yeast cells, whilst even feeble and intermittent sunshine is capable of paralyzing them and that they only recover their vitality when removed from this obnoxious influence. This recuperative power is not, however, shared equally by all varieties of yeast, some possessing it in a far greater degree than others. Dr. Lohmann also found that yeast cells, after being exposed to sunshine, assumed a shrunken and distorted appearance, showing that insulation had produced a striking physiological effect upon the structure of these cells. Professor Hansen published some years ago a most interesting memoir on some of the characteristic features of the molds which are to be found on manure heaps, 
in which he records how light exerts a very important influence on the manner in which the spore or fruit of these lowly vegetables is set free or distributed. All the various phases in the fructification process of some of these molds were carefully watched by Dr. Hansen. He kept his caged specimens near a window with an eastern aspect, and he states that in the first instance the stalks inclined toward the light, but that afterwards they assumed an upright position. Darkness was nearly always chosen for the liberation of the spores, but in a few instances a small number were released during the daytime, and it was noticed that when this did occur, they were invariably discharged on the side away from the source of light. In various other ways he confirmed this interesting observation, and found that the fruit of the mold was invariably discharged in the opposite direction to that in which the stalk had previously inclined under the influence of light. The force with which the spores were discharged varied very considerably, sometimes being cast to a distance of four inches or more from the stalk, and sometimes being found close to and even on the stalk. The manner in which sunshine may also modify the pigment-producing powers of microorganisms is remarkable. Many microbes are able to elaborate when grown on various culture media, such as gelatin or slices of potato, most brilliant and beautiful pigments, ranging from intense blood-red to the most delicate shades of pink, and embracing every gradation of yellow, as well as browns, greens, and violets. Now it has been found that some of these pigment-producing bacteria, when exposed to sunshine on these nutritive materials, fail to exhibit their characteristic color, although the duration of insulation may not have sufficed to destroy their actual vitality. One of these organisms, originally obtained from water, has been specially studied in this respect by M. Laurent. If slices of potato are streaked with a small number of this particular bacillus, Bacille rouge de Kiel, a magnificent patch of blood-red color makes its appearance in the course of a day or two. But if, on the other hand, similar slices of potato are exposed to three hours sunshine, a colorless growth subsequently develops, except where here and there a few isolated spots of pale pink are visible. When the insulation is prolonged for five hours, nothing whatever happens on the potato the bacilli having been entirely destroyed. But this is not all. M. Laurent found that if he took some of the colorless growth and inoculated it onto potatoes, he obtained again, but without insulation, a colorless vegetation. In fact, three hours' insulation had so modified the physiological character of the bacillus that a new race had been generated, a race deprived of its power of producing this red pigment. In what numerous directions the character of microbes may be and are being modified, even by simple exposure to sunshine, opens up a wide field for speculation and research, whilst the tractability of these minute and most primitive forms of life, if we only approach their education with sufficient insight and patience, may enable us to make them serve where they now are masters. End of chapter 3, part 1